0: context of my message today is in the heart of these last few songs that we have sung Then i would not have stepped up here i would have just said let's just continue in worship but i truly believe that that the depth of worship that was present a few moments ago has a twofold effect number one as joe said it creates that habitation for god but it also prepares the heart to receive the word of god I thank each and every one of you for being here today, just we're going to read three verses four verses of Scripture to open, then we'll be seated, and then we're going, to, we're going to get into a subject matter here in just a few moments. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 that we're going to read just briefly today, and then we're going to read two verses in Ephesians, and that's going to conclude the initial opening text of Scripture for us. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there. Certainly, they've already got it on the screen for you, so I'll hasten you towards reading it here it says paul writing now he which establishes us with you establishes us with you in christ and this next phrase though is something i'll be elaborating on today and hath anointed us is god who hath also sealed us and given us the are given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts so it's a powerful passage here as paul's just this little phrase but just catch that Paul said, not only has God established us with you, so it's, we're joined together in Christ, but he hath also anointed us. So that's powerful. We're going we're to try to expound that. Now, just a couple of other epistles over the apostle Paul writes in Ephesians. and This is about the Holy Spirit and how that our life and the choices that we make and the effect that it can have on God. Sometimes we think about just the choices that we make and its effect on us and our family. But here's where our choices and what can happen to the heart of God. Here he says it's a, it's a reproof, it's a correction with the reproof. It says here, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. I want you to think about that. Most often in the Pentecostal charismatic world, we're familiar with 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul says, quench not the Spirit. And we take that from the basis of don't hinder or limit the work of the Holy Spirit. By, by our doctrine and such but here Paul's saying but grieve not don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God and then the for the, the the famous exhortation Paul live, leaves us with here about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5 and verse number 18 it says and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the spirit and certainly you have to attach verse 19 I didn't put that up there but It's actually in the same sense, one of the ways and means in which we keep ourselves full of the Holy Spirit, he said, is to speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So a moment ago, as we were singing with hands outstretched or kneeling in the presence of God, not only were we uh, lifting up glory and praise to God, but we were also stirring and, and and agitating the presence of God inside of us, being full of the Holy Spirit, which we see by the word is, some say, some theologians say, this is a command. He didn't really give it like an option. If you feel like it, be filled with the Spirit. But he said, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So today, let's talk about this. What does it mean to be anointed? There's that word that was found in 2 Corinthians, it's God that hath anointed us. I want to help you understand that today, if you would. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I wouldn't have. God, I don't believe that I interrupted worship, because I would never do that, because that's, that belongs to you, Father. I, if I didn't believe that what I have to say here today was orchestrated, Father, in prayer, and, and it is the word for this fellowship to take us deeper into the presence of God, then Father, I wouldn't have even taken a step forward and stood on this platform. But I look out across this congregation today, and there are people that are hungry for your presence. There's something at work in the midst of a, of a pandemic, God. You're doing something in the midst of confusing times and conflicting reports. God, we, we, there's, we can tell. God, it's, it's tangible to us. And I know also in the midst of our church family, there is a, there's, a, there's a new group of people, God, that are pressing in to the charismatic, spirit-filled experience perhaps perhaps for the first time so god i want to i want to i want to i want to minister in such a way that both those that have been a part of the church for a long time or those that are new to the spirit filled movement god both can receive of this word today that's my prayer it's in jesus name and everybody said amen and amen and you can be seated i won't take any time to uh, even go into any announcements whatsoever has already shared many of those we're just gonna go right to the word of the lord today and i want to um a couple of things i want to tag team with with today first of all is um something that someone said to me that was uh i don't i don't think visiting the church because i think they've kind of started to really connect to the church but they hugged my neck two or three weeks ago and said pastor brown i just want to really say thank you for the message today because it wasn't just, and I will say this very respectfully because I'm not trying to to create a contrast between what we do and what other churches do, but she said it it wasn't just like cookie cutter, it wasn't just, it didn't come from, you know, you can go on sermon.com, you don't have to be, you, you can find a good sermon, and but I, but I want you to know that all the pastors here at our church family, whether it be Wednesday night or Sunday school class, but it starts with me, we study the scriptures for the purpose of, number one, personal growth. I want to grow in godliness. I want to, you know, I want to I have the knowledge of God, but I also want to have a word for you. That means a lot to us. It means a lot to me personally. And even a familiar subject, because I've been in the Pentecostal movement for 30 plus years now, and I have a basic understanding of the anointing of God. But at the same time, I I want you to know that that doesn't mean that I didn't come here today without preparation. I went back and studied it like I was, like this was the first time I ever studied about the anointing, because I want it to be fresh in me. I want to have a fresh fragrance on my life. So that's number one. Number two, though, just real quickly, is I made a statement last week when I referenced the anointing. And I I spoke about, you know, you need to have an anointing on your life. And I, I even made this statement. I said, if you don't know what that means, then you need to study that out. Because that's really not a word that we use in just casual conversation outside of the context of the church, is it? i mean you really don't say that that often but if you have if you study the scriptures and you see the the history well yeah then you're more familiar with it but if you're not you know just like anointed what is that i remember when dr brassville spoke here just several weeks ago or probably several weeks into the us coming back into uh you know service after having been dismissed for the initial window of the the uh, covid 19 he he spoke and said you know If ever there was a time when you had the anointing of God on your life, you need it right now. And so that that was a reminder to me. And so when I kind of weighed that in the balance, kind of saying, God, where am I going to go here? I said, I thought, you know, I'm going to, instead of just putting this burden of self-study upon you about the anointing, I'm going to hope to accelerate your learning here today. And some of this is cultural. Some of this is based upon the culture of the church in which we are a part of, the Assemblies of God. So let me take you into just a little bit uh, of the background of the understanding and the the actual usage of the word anoint. The word anoint simply means to rub or to smear with oil. Some translations or some say to paint with oil. Um, It it had spiritual connotations, but it also had practical connotations. So get a picture of that in your mind. Uh, An oil that would be used for medicinal purposes. Oftentimes people uh, is that me dinging up here? I'm hearing something ding here. Is that me? That is not me. Is that me? It's okay. All right. Just okay. All right, well, somebody grab that for Daryl. Just is it? Grab it real quick because it might, somebody. The Lord may be t- calling in again. It's <laughs> throwing me off up here. I'm thought I'm gonna check my fly. I gotta do it all because Sherry could be down there saying, "Get it right, preacher." <laughs> But I, I do want you to get that picture just real quickly, though, because the culture, we got to go back to the culture of the Scriptures. It was an arid Middle Eastern culture, which a lot of things were, were of, uh, made of leather. So they would actually take oil, olive oil, which was a stable in, the, in the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the economy of Israel. They would take oil, and they would rub it upon almost everything leather, every baseball Player, softball player here under the sound of my voice, or every person that's ever ridden horses and such, you know that you got to keep that leather. uh, You got to keep it supple and and where it's pliable and bendable and moldable, or it's going to age and dry and crack. And so, oftentimes, that was what oil was used for. It certainly was medicinal. We see that with the parable of the good Samaritan; he poured in oil and wine, so it had a medicinal purpose as well. But there was a very unique spiritual purpose that we see in the Word of God, and that's really where we start seeing the greatest usage of it in the scriptural sense. It was David that said in the famous, the most famous passage in all the Word of God is that, God, that thou anoint my head with oil, Psalm 23. My cup runneth over, you anoint my head with oil. For ministry leaders of old time, the sacred anointing oil was poured upon the head. We're going to look at it just briefly here in just a moment of time. You know, I often anoint my head with oil, with just oil here in the in the sanctuary before I preach, but that's not the way they anointed with oil in the old day. They literally poured oil upon the head of the individual to the degree that the psalmist said it would literally run down, seep through on the scalp, through the hair, all the way down into the beard, the shoulder, and even come all the way to the hem of the garment, to the, to the borders of the garment that the individual was wearing. And so you've got to get that picture. So that's why when the writers use the term anointed, thou anointest us, he's got a picture in his mind. He doesn't have just a little, you know, 21st century process of just a little dabble, do you, you know, where we can't mess up anybody's outfit or I, you know, I was sharing with the guys before as I was talking about this message in the office for a moment. Years ago, one of the first Assembly of God churches that Sharon and I attended was when I was in the Air Force at England Air Force Base in Alexandria, Louisiana, and they had a visiting evangelist who was a black gentleman from Africa, and he had a very deep baritone voice and. He preached, and he had an anointing, and he was strong in the Lord. And when it came time to pray for people, they did not bring him the little jar of olive oil bought off of the shelf at Harps. They brought the brother a bowl of anointing oil like this, and he dropped both hands in the oil. And when he came to pray for you, I mean, he was throwing oil all over you, all the way down the line. I told him I can't remember whether I went forward or not. I can't remember. But, but I, th- there's a picture in this. You've got to see this. I, the Bible says, first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. Romans 15 and 4 is a verse of Scripture that says we're to look at this. Paul said, we look at what happened. We look at ancient Israel, we looked at their practices, and we learn spiritual truths. So I want you to see real quickly in Exodus 29, I want you to see what the primary purpose of the anointing. There was an oil that God gave Israel, and I'm going to pretend that you don't know anything about this. Some of you do, you've studied it out very purposely in the past, but others of you have not. So we're going to go somewhere with this in a moment, because I want you to understand not only the vernacular of our assembly, but I also want you to understand our expectation, our hope, a deep-seated yearning that's within our, within our hearts. So there was an anointing oil that God had given Moses instruction to make. He said, it'd make it after the art of the perfumer. So it wasn't just oil by itself, it was mixed with fragrant spices. So there was a fragrance to it. So when they took that compound, they called it a compound ointment. It was mixed together. And and when they put that upon an individual, they didn't just have the oil dripping down upon them. They had a fragrant aroma. So you could could not even be standing near someone. You You might not even be standing close enough to them to see the dripping oil on their shoulder. And you might pick up the fragrance of the aroma of the oil that had been poured upon them. And that's what... That's what Moses here gets instruction and gives instruction to Israel. He said thou shalt take the anointing oil. This is about he's speaking to the priest, the high priest, Aaron, his brother. He said we're going to take the anointing oil and we're going to pour it upon his head and anoint him. So they would pour. It. So I wanted I chose this verse purposely so you could see it would be poured upon his head. Now turn over to 1 chapter, chapter number 30, verse number 30. Look at it with me for just a moment. It wasn't just Aaron, but it was the lineage of priests that would come from him. Began with his sons, and subsequently it would follow through. And it says, And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. Don't forget that. Kind of leave that. You can even hold that your your finger there. We're gonna turn over to one other passage here in a moment, and then I got one more, and that's gonna conclude. But just hold that and, they, and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's service. And so I also want you to see it wasn't just on individuals, the sons of Aaron, but it was also upon objects that were used in the worship of God. And I wanted you to see this in Exodus 40, verse number 9. It says here, And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein, and shall hallow it and all the vessels thereof it shall be holy. So I want you to just kind of keep those two thoughts kind of back and forth for just a moment. Right here, he said, we're not just going to anoint the men that serve in the tabernacle, but we're going to anoint the tabernacle itself. And then we're not just going to anoint the men that serve in the tabernacle, we're going to anoint the instruments that they use in their service to God inside the tabernacle. And so I could take a step back from that culture and put it into our culture i don't want to just be the only one in this house with an anointing on my life i don't want to just be here as the only person that's prepared his heart that sought god that said god i want your presence but i want to be amongst a tabernacle of men and women that say god we can't do this pleasing to you unless we have the anointing on us unless we have the fragrant anointing upon our lives Than God, than we are, but a sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. So now let me show you also again what I want you to see. That word again in chapter number thirty, verse number thirty, where he said, "And consecrate them." What does that mean? And I preached about this many times. And but, consecration means separation. It means setting apart. It's saying, take this individual, the Aaron and his sons, and set him apart for my purposes. Then take this instrument, what I've preached many times, what had been previously could have been a common vessel. Because there were a lot of vessels used in the sanctuary of the tabernacle. There were shovels and basins and bins. There was an altar and there was a laver and all kinds of stuff. You can read about it on your own by reading the book of Exodus. But Moses said, take the anointing oil. And what that means is, is that instrument was but a common instrument an instrument that you could have used to go outside in the backyard and dig a hole if you chose to, to bury your money during COVID-19, if you choose to. But he said, but the moment that anointing oil gets upon it, it's consecrated for my purpose. You can't use it for common purposes anymore. Because I have set it apart. It's reserved unto me. You've got to get that in your heart because in a moment we're going to transition and we're going to make this as particular to you and to your family and to your relationship with God as it can because you've got to understand that you were bought with a price. I can't just get up every day and say, I'm going to go after my dreams or my hopes or my aspirations. Absolutely not. I get up every day and say, God, you found me and you saved me and you redeemed me by the power of your shed blood and I'm yours. God, however and wherever you choose. God, if you want me to be successful, I'll be successful. If you want me to not have success because you're teaching me deeper lessons, then I'll receive that as well because I just want what you want, God. Well, I knew y'all wouldn't shout me down on that, but I'll preach it anyhow. So now often associated with the anointing is a supernatural work of the spirit of God. How I mean, you know, there's a natural world and there's a spiritual world, right? There's a supernatural. I mean, I believe that. I think when we get into our study of of spiritual warfare, we're going to we're going to try to we're going to try to pull back and pull back the heaven, so to speak, so we can get a glimpse into this other world that's just, I believe in it. Don't you today? I believe in the spirit of God. I believe in a spiritual realm, a spiritual existence. And so when I read the historical usage of the word anointed, when they poured that anointing oil over the head of an individual, often, not always, but oftentimes the Bible would say that the spirit of God came upon that individual. In a very powerful way. And I want you to go to our last passage of Scripture we're going to turn to. It's familiar, but I think it's important for us to read it. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I alluded to it last week. I think it will help you to understand this. Because we're going to make this, again, as particular to you as I can. But I've got to lay the foundation. How many of you remember this text? This context is real quickly Saul's been rejected as king. Samuel's mourned. He had poured the anointing all over the tallest man in Israel, supposing he would be a dynamic king and leading the people in both uh, in their possession of the promised land and, and their maintaining and expanding of it and the kingdom being established, but also in their worship of God. But Saul has failed. Samuel's grieved. His heart is saddened. God said, I've got you, uh, I've got another assignment for you because I've got somebody out there that I want you to anoint to be king in Saul's stead. In verse number 3 is where this exhortation, just real quickly, you have to read it all on your own, verses 1 through 13, but we're going to only read verse 3 and then verses 10 through 13 for the sake of time. He said, Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Catch that. Catch the wording very carefully. And thou shalt anoint unto me, not unto you, not unto the kingdom, but anoint him unto me. The anointing is to consecrate an individual to God. I don't first belong to you. I belong to Him. My purpose is to be pleasing to Him. In being pleasing to Him, I serve God's people. But I am first anointed to Him. And so verses 10 through 13, let's catch this. So then Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Well, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are, there, are here all thy children? Is there anybody else? And he said, Well, there remaineth yet the youngest. He, and behold, he's keeping the sheep. I mean, no, you could really work with this, but I, for the sake of time, I won't today. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him. I love that too, don't you? For we will not sit down till he comes hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. And with all of a beautiful, I know y'all a lot, Pastor, nobody talks like that today. You're probably reading some, you know, translation where it said, yeah, he was cool, and he was, you know, kind of redheadish, and, but see, I'm reading the King James English because it's very poetic, and he was ruddy, and of a beautiful, nobody tells men they're beautiful today, beautiful countenances, but isn't that powerful? He was, are are y'all out there with me on this? I see, I feel it, it helps me. He was ruddy of a beautiful countenance to look to, but the Lord said, arise, Samuel, get up. This is why I brought you here. I didn't bring you here just to have a meal with Jesse and his family. This is not just about gathering for a fellowship meal. You've got a horn that's been filled with that sacred, fragrant anointing oil. i got a king I rejected. i got a kingdom that needs a king, and I want you to take that anointing oil and pour it on his head because this is the one. Now, remember, man looked on the outside, but God looked on the heart. But what happened? Catch what happened. When he poured that anointing oil upon his head. Verse 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And if you don't have the last part of this in your testimony, I've said it before. I'll say it again. All you have is a greasy head. If you don't have this as a part of your testimony, we can line you up, pour oil on you all day long, and you can walk out of here with it dripping down and ruin our carpets as you go out. But if the Spirit of God doesn't come upon you, then I won't say you're anointed. I'll say you're covered with oil, but it's not oil that I'm looking for. It's the spirit of the living God, the presence of the living God. That's when we talk about anointing today, we use oil only as a symbolic reference to the unseen power of the spirit of the living God that can be upon all God's children. So as we begin to journey and see this, this process is repeated over and over in the Old Covenant. But details are not always covered. You can rest assured in most situations when they were anointed with oil for consecration that was followed by an empowering work of the Spirit of God. So we're going to journey before we make it applicable to us. I'm going to kind of breeze through the ministry of Jesus. I'm not going to go there real quickly. Jace read about how he was anointed. He quoted that in the scripture Or Jesus did when he was at Capernaum and he took from the scroll of Isaiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me so jesus christ it's not first and last name it's jesus yeshua in the hebrew yeshua christos christos means the anointed one come on now you missed a great place to say amen he was anointed of god acts 10 and 38 said that how that god anointed jesus of nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus was a man anointed of the Spirit of God. Now, I know that's hard. He was the Son of Man and the Son of God. But when in his ministry function, he needed the unction to be able to do what God had called him to do. And if he needed it, then so do you. Well, let me say it one more time. If he needed it, then so do you. You need the anointing of God upon your life. There's a universal belief amongst Christian leaders and thinkers that the early church received a supernatural empowerment of the Spirit as witnessed by the book of Acts. Primarily it was through the ministry of the apostles, but it extended to many others in the church. And a ordination service in that early church arena wasn't just so that they could have a Uh, you know some type of document or certificate on the wall it was so that the presbytery could gather around an individual who felt called into ministry and they would pray over them and they would prophesy spiritual gifts in their life and that's why paul told timothy he said neglect not the gift that's in you which is in you by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery accompanied by prophecy A prophetic unction spoke and released the Spirit of God in the life of Timothy. And so that's universally held that that the, the, the early church had the unction of God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, or we may say the anointing of God. Paul writes, God has anointed us. Where the division theologically emerges then is if those supernatural experiences, empowerment by the Spirit should continue to occur in subsequent generations. That's where the theological differences begin to emerge. Some are known theologically as cessationists. We've alluded to this more than one occasion. Which believe that all or most spiritual gifts or spiritual empowerment cease with either the death of the last apostle or with the completion of the canon of scripture. That's on one side of the camp. The other side of the camp are those that believe that spirit baptism, infilling with the spirit, spirit-filled living, spiritual gifts all continue to each generation And are available to all who long for, believe for, and determine to receive of the work of the Spirit of God in their life. And many of you know both, and you're on one side of the camp uh, or the other. And you know that the Assemblies of God, being a Pentecostal fellowship, is not a cessationist. But we embrace and we believe that the Spirit of God and the, the same function of the Spirit that I read about in the book of Acts and in the epistles is God's expectation for the church today. That's our belief in the name of the Lord. But my purpose here today is not to enter into a deep theological debate because these are divisions and it will take much more time and there are many more edu- uh, deeper, ed- more effectively, let me say that, educated men than myself that we can put them in the room and let them debate that. I'm not here to, to answer a debate. I'm here to spark something inside of you until you begin to say, God, I've got to have an anointing on my life. I've seen it, I've felt, uh, I, I, have, I have received the aroma in other people's life, and I'm no longer satisfied with uh, uh, gaining other people's anointing. I want my own anointing. I want to be able to say, Yes, God hath anointed me. I want to be able to say, I know what it's like to have the power and the presence of a living God on my life, the fragrance of a living Christ. I need the anointing of God. Now, even within the Pentecostal movement, The majority of Pentecostals believe that all all genuine believers have received of the Holy Spirit. We believe that if you are born again. Y'all familiar with that term? John chapter number 3, Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born from above. How many believe that when a person puts faith in Christ Jesus, his redemptive work, that God breathes upon them the Spirit of God? The pneuma of God enters into their spirit. How many of you know that you are a triune being made in the likeness and the image of God? He was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your spirit, soul, and body. And at that time, the spirit of the living God joins your spirit and declares you to be a child of the living God. Right? And so you have the grace and the power of the spirit of God on the inside of you. And that is what we call regeneration. But we as Pentecostals believe that there is a second work of the spirit of God in the life of a believer that consecrates one's purpose unto God and that may be accompanied by supernatural signs and the work of the spirit in the life of an individual and that God can use you you can do things as the spirit of God but the Bible says the spirit of God came upon David from that day forward so I wrote it this way in my notes there needs to be a beginning point to greater consecration and empowerment for the service to God akin to David's experience So we often, as Pentecostals, we use the term, he's anointed of the Spirit, or he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what I want you to know today, by reading what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 and 18, we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's possible to have the Holy Spirit and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if it was automatic, he wouldn't tell you to be full of what you've already filled with. But he said to maintain being filled with the Holy Spirit, keep a spirit of praise in your heart and your mind all the time. Keep that unction. Keep it agitated. Keep it stirring it up in your own individual life. So it's a continual work of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer. But I'm going to show you something today in just a moment. I'm going to take I'm taking it to one purpose. Are you all out there? I know you're saying, Pastor, where are we going with this? We're going to go probably somewhere you don't necessarily think that I'm going to take you to today, but I am. But I want you to be a part of this mysterious journey that we're making today. Now, some people believe that when you first have what we call a second work of grace of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, some believe it's accompanied by a supernatural sign. I'm not going to debate that today. The assemblies of God do believe, absolutely, as a fellowship, that there's a supernatural, we call it the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. Others in the Pentecostal movement don't necessarily ascribe to that doctrine, but they still believe that something emerges, some type of of, of fruit or some type of a work, it might be deeper, more earnest, prayer, a yearning for God's presence. So that's not my intent to debate that even within the Pentecostal movement today. I want to show you something that I don't know if we're thinking about it enough in our culture today concerning the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see, so get ready, I'm getting ready to share this with you right now. I want you to see this. I want you to see that I believe that the beginning place of God's Spirit in the life of an individual is not through supernatural signs and wonders, but it's through a consecrated life, a life of separation. A life that recognizes that he who saved you is holy. And he's called you to be holy. A life a life that's dedicated to God that says, God, I want all that you want. And God, the thing that I've got to have. Somebody said it in our one of our studies on Wednesday night. Moses said in his prayer to God, God, I've got to have your presence with me. Let me tell you, if you grieve the spirit of God, I read that text on purpose. Ephesians 4, you mean I, me, sanctified, me. If you grieve the Spirit of God through your lifestyle choices, then you can go to battle and not have the presence of God with you. You can dance and worship and still not have the presence of God. You can preach. We can call you a pastor or a lay leader and give you a class, a podium, or or a pulpit. And I want you to know it still doesn't mean you have the presence of God upon your life. The presence of God is tangible. You can discern it. It's discernible in your life, and it's discernible amongst others. Because when you've grieved the Spirit of God, you've saddened. That's what the word grieve means. You've saddened the Spirit of God. When our lifestyle choices hinder God's work in our heart and life, and he's grieved. I'm not saying he departs, but I'm saying he's grieved, and he's limited in what he is doing in us and through us. God is holy and His holiness should be revealed in our lives as we live a life that's not grieving to the Spirit of God. So most people, listen to this. This is what I, again, intended to say. Most people think that Pentecostals are all about spiritual gifts. You think that, you say, I'm new to the Pentecostal church. And so I came down here and I was a little bit nervous because I thought somebody's going to be talking in other tongues. And yes, people do talk in other tongues. I thought people would be prophesying. And yes, there are folks that prophesy among us. I thought everybody would be running and clapping and jumping and all that stuff. Let me tell you, that's a part of it. But that's not the heart of it. See, at our heart, here's what you might not know, is that first and foremost, we're, being, we're about being filled with the Spirit so that we can walk in a life of holiness walking a life of love walking in love every day of my life loving people that it's hard to love loving people that if it wasn't for the tangible work of the holy spirit in my life i couldn't love but with the spirit inside me yearning inside of me with the love of god i can do things that i would not ordinarily be able to do it's the spirit of god inside of me saying i can walk in grace i can be kind to people that will get on your nerves. I can be kind to people that in my flesh. I want to I put a little kung fu panda on them. But I can't. Because there is a governor inside of me. The spirit of the living God. That wants me to show them love. And kindness and grace. And I'm compelled to do so. By the power and the presence of the spirit of God inside me. I want my mouth filled with praise to God. I want my speech filled with grace to those that hear. I don't want my speech to be where I'm downcast or I'm tearing down and I'm destructive. How many know that your words have impact and your words can cut and people might live a lifetime with a gaping wound in their, in, in their emotional psychology because of what somebody said to them or somebody said about them. But if you're anointed of the Spirit of God, then your speech is seasoned with salt. And you speak with grace and you speak life and you speak hope and you speak with mercy and you tell people that there's a brighter day. Come on, you call things that be not as though they were. You take people and you say, I see where you've been. I see your hurt and your sorrow. But let me tell you about one who can heal and his name is Jesus Christ. He can heal your broken heart today. He can. That's what we do. We want that to be out of our mouths. We want our lives and our mouths to be filled with praise to God so that all those that hear, we said it last week, we'll say, we want to make God famous again, don't we, Shane? We want want people to see, man, God did that for you. He can do that for me. The Spirit of God in me is grieved when my life and my lifestyle is not pleasing to Him, when I've allowed the culture. Come on, entertainment. Oh, it went quiet. We live in a culture inundated. You know, back 50 years ago, church, you know, fundamental churches used to preach about, you know, the dangers of going to the movie house. You don't have to go anymore. You just have to have at all times. So it's odd. I mean, what I'm saying, Pastor, you're one of those preachers that preach about don't go here and don't go here. No, I've preached the majority of my life about do, not do not. Did y'all hear, well, because if you're anointed of the Spirit, of God, I ain't got time to be playing around with all that foolish stuff because I want my life to be a reflection of Him. And But at the same time, I do have to stop and pause every now and then and say, God, but help me, God. Let my personal choices, if I'm grieving the Spirit of God in my pursuit of His presence, then I want God to show me. I don't want to be so hard-hearted religiously I don't want to be so culturally blinded that I can't hear from God when He wants to convict me. We're wanting the culture to be convicted of sin in the generation in which we live in, and we don't want to accept that same conviction in the church. Often to stir up the gift of God on the inside of you is simply to separate yourself. Let me say that one more time. I'm gonna slow down, I'm almost finished. To stir up the gift of God on the inside of you is to simply separate yourself in consecration, holiness, and repentance. And I wrote it this way. I said, when is the last time? I'm asking you because I asked myself. When's the last time you got alone with God in prayer and you really repented before him? You ever thought about that? We say, I really repented before him. Not out of some manipulated condemnation. I'm not talking about that. I can preach on a certain subject up here today and tweak it and twist it in such a way where most people will feel a little bit of guilt or shame or something and they might repent. Now, I'm talking about not coerced by the preacher. I'm not talking about being condemned. I'm talking about just out of a pursuit after God in your own heart and life where you say, God, you are so holy and you are so gracious that, God, I want my life to be pleasing to you in every area every area. And God, I want to expose a part of my life to you that I know is either shallow or weak or even sinful, and I want you to help me. I'm grieved. I'm grieved. Have you ever done that? When's the last time you've done that? Let me tell you. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Before we'll have a wave of supernatural gifting and impartations of the Spirit, my guess is, I'm not trying to be a prophet, it's going to take a wave of Holy Spirit conviction in us responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in personal consecration in order to see the next level of the work of the Spirit among us. Is that right? I'm closing right now just to say, so Pastor Brown, do you not believe that the anointing includes spiritual empowerment? Absolutely. My life was radically changed when I, at 17 years of age, became a Shatakaya, Messiah. I didn't say Messiah. That's the little phrase I repeated from a little lady that I heard speak with tongues when I was 17 years old. And she would go, Shatakaya Messiah. And so I kind of teased that. I hope it's not in a, in, a, you know, in, a, in a bad way. But my life was radically changed. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the supernatural signs and wonders, healing and miracles. The works that I do, Jesus said, you shall do also in greater works than these. But I want to say this, with or without the greater works... There is a deeper, more earnest work of the Spirit of God in the life of every believer that sets his heart to be consecrated before God. It's evidenced by his consecration, his love, and his devotion. It's a purging, it's a pruning, it's a sifting, it's a cleansing, it's a confessing, and it's a repenting. And it's not a continual cycle of condemnation and grief. Is it, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. It's not done in a way that just says, I'm simply responding to the expectation of those that are around me because that's not going to produce genuine fruit in your life. But it's only when it's the true yearning of the Spirit inside you that says, God, I, you know what, it's been this way for a long time, but it doesn't need to be that way any farther because I can experience more of your grace. And of your goodness and be a light for you by walking consistently in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as Pentecostals, as spirit-filled believers, what does it mean to be anointed of the Spirit? It means to be consecrated and set apart for His glory. Oh, I know they got the, the, the organ playing on that one, but I will say it one more time. It means to be consecrated for His glory. It means being set apart. Do you have that awareness? Paul did. He did. Can I say it? Let's let's, let's tie this all together. Paul did. Paul had the awareness when he said, it is God that has established us with you in Christ. And it is God that hath anointed us. When he writes, he doesn't write from a modern day Pentecostal perspective. He writes from a Jew in the historical root of Judaism. It's God that hath anointed us. It's God that set us apart. It's God that consecrated us. It's God that took what used to be a common vessel, and now he's made us uncommon. It's God that said that we, in the natural realm, we could do this, absolutely, but in the spiritual realm, I recognize that I have a higher calling and a higher purpose in my life. I just believe that that's the cry of the Spirit of God. I'm going to go into the next step of Spirit-filled living, walking in the Spirit, speak i'll do that i think we got so many new folks coming to our church right now that I, I i think it's my spiritual duty to you to teach you about why we believe in speaking in other tongues prophetic gifts unctions it's my responsibility to share those things with you but let me tell you i want you to know today that if i start there i have robbed you of the greatest most personal uh desire of the spirit of god in the heart and life of a believer and that's personal consecration to be all that God's called you to be unto Him. Spirit of God, when we sing songs, you are holy, holy, holy. Three times holy, the angels declared in the presence of God, He's holy. It should reverberate in your heart and life to say, God, I recognize you're holy. Change me into the image of your Son. Let the Spirit of Christ that dwells on the inside of me God, purge my heart and life of all sinful works and thoughts and imaginations so that my life can be pleasing to you. They'll join me on the platform if you would, and we're going to close this message. I don't know what time it is. But God is so gracious, and I want you to see the work of the Spirit in a non-condescending, non-condemning way. This is not me putting the microscope on your life. I don't have time to put the microscope on your life. I want my life. When it concerns personal holiness, it is personal. Now its effect can be felt by others and it can be damaging to others the lifestyle choices that you as an individual make. But when I preach this in this context, I put the burden of responsibility back on you. You know that? I've studied enough, Jace, about the history of Pentecostalism. Pentecostals, Would preach things, and the same folks would keep coming back to the altar, you know, over and over and over again, because it would be preached oftentimes in such a way that it was condemning to them, and they would feel that condemnation, and they would come and they could never get free. And say, I'm not going to do that. I don't do that. See, because I understand the scripture says, We all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, and we're changed into the same image. Now here's the reality. The first time when you look in a glass, when you look into the scriptures, the reality is oftentimes the first thing you see is you. And that's where a part of conviction comes in. So like a looking glass of old, we see our own image. And there is conviction. We see flaws. We see shortcomings. And, and if you stop right there, then you'll always be at that level of repentance. It'll always be at that level, and you'll always be con- you know, condemning yourself. But if you look at it closer... And you'll keep looking closer into the perfect law of liberty, into the, his goodness, and eventually what you'll begin to see, you'll begin to see the image of Jesus. You'll be see, able to see his glory, his presence, his redemptive work, his purpose for you, his, God's purpose in Christ. When he created you and saved you and redeemed you and consecrated, consecrated. I'm looking at it and I'm all of a sudden seeing consecration setting apart. David was set apart. Elijah was set apart. Uh, Leroy was set apart. Come on, Jace was set set apart. Jojo was set apart. Miss Anne was set apart. You start seeing yourself. You see him, you see you, and you begin to be changed into the image of Jesus. The Bible says how is that done? It's done by the Spirit of God. It's done by the Spirit of the living God. And so you look deeply into the Word, and you pray, and you meditate, and you think, and God is changing you, and then His presence is upon you. Like the tabernacle of old, like the children of Israel in the wilderness journey, the presence of God went with them. The presence of God will go with you. It won't just be what you feel on Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30, but the presence of God will be with you every day of your life. You'll get up because your life is consecrated, set apart for God. You've got the knowledge of His love and grace working in you, and you've got the anointing. And then you could be able to write with Paul, it's God. It's not me. Oh, I anoint my own head with oil on Sunday mornings, but I only do that symbolically. If I can't say God has anointed me, then I'm not anointed. And so I said last week, I believe that every church, the pastor should be anointed, and people ought to join in under and share in that anointing. And we as a fellowship, we pursue it. And it's living, it's fragrant, it's growing, we desire it. It's maturing in our lives, in Jesus' name. Pastor, do you believe in the gifts? I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But I want you to know this, the Bible says about the gifts of the Spirit, they're divided severally as He wills. I may ha- want to have the gift of healing, but if he doesn't give me the gift of healing, I don't have the gift of healing function in my life. But at the same time, I do know his spirit inside me stirred, and I can worship him with the clearest of consciousness. I can say, God, I sing a song to you because you are all altogether lovely, Father. You're so wonderful and gracious and merciful. I'll speak unto myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I will thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, let my life be pleasing to you. Would y'all stand up with me today for just a few moments? I wrote it in my notes as I close. I won't go there for sake of time. I said, how do I close this off, God? How How do I close it off? If we weren't in the midst of this confusing time and, you know, we're and I, I've told you before, I've got, a, I've got people on both sides of the spectrum on the COVID-19. I've got some saying, listen, just uh, press on through it. it. It's no big deal. And then I've got others that are very, very respectful and cautious. And so it's difficult, difficult. To, what do you do? Well, I wrote it. I said, God, in, 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 in days gone by, I would have everybody come forward. I'd be walking through pouring oil on everybody's head here today. But then I said I don't know that I should or could do that. I don't know. I don't know what. But the one thing I do know is, is that God's calling you. He's calling you. He's revealing himself to you. He wants his presence to go with you. He wants his presence. That's the anointing. That's the anointing. Let's just pray. Let me just tell you how I'd like to do it then. I'm just going to go with a If you want to come to the front, you come to the front. There's plenty of room.